0: Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 250 of The Matinee Cast. It's the movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. Your home for cinematic passion and perspective. So that was 2020. No, really, I mean it. It's over and done with. Finally, for good. No maxis. This was a year where Iran and America looked like they might go to war. Kobe Bryant died, and the Australian Outback was just... Burning out of control. That was all before January ended. From there, it got worse. And worse. And worse. I could tell you, but you don't need me to. You were there. Or at least you would be there if you were allowed to leave your home, or still had a job, or didn't get sick, or all of the above. To make matters worse for listeners and contributors of this show, film going took a major hit when we largely had to steer clear of cinemas after mid March. That doesn't mean that we weren't offered films in 2020. It doesn't even mean that we weren't offered great films in 2020. Quite the opposite. There was a lot of incredible cinema out there if you just knew where to look. So if nothing else, today we hope to tell you where to look. This year for the final episode, I bring in a dear friend. And interestingly enough, he is the last man that I went to a movie with in a cinema in 2020. He is someone whose fingerprints are all over the previous 249 episodes of this show, whose voice, too, is a frequent presence as a continuing guest. He's had a whirlwind year himself, including one handle of a grand finale. So I'm truly grateful that he's been able to make time this morning. He is the head cheese over at Tump, the unnamed movie podcast, and my neighbor now here in
1: Midtown, Toronto. Andrew Robinson is here. How are you doing, man? I'm, as you say, I'm doing right. Um... I don't know if I want to say I'm doing great. I don't know if I want to say I'm doing well. I'm I'm doing. Um, the one thing I have to say, and the, as you say, the now neighbor of the matinee cast, I feel cheated this year because I expected cookies, but we're we're not doing like the show in person, and I can't get cookies.
0: The, yeah there's no cookies there's no wine like that that's uh, my, my budget for this show is actually like really rock bottom this time around i'm saving a lot of money where normally i'd be opening up like two or three bottles of something and there'd be like a whole tin of baked goods i'm I'm sorry man you, you miss out on all We're we're missing out on a lot of stuff this year so just add
1: it to the list <laughs> i mean i got so used to it like just showing up and being like cookies i'm like oh
0: so we've got a few things that we got to get to before we get into the show in earnest. So first things first, 250. Uh, this is a benchmark for this podcast, and I did not anticipate it back when I started it in the winter of 2009. Back then, it just seemed like something neat I could do with my wife's brand new iMac. Now, more than 10 years later, it's much more than something neat. And in fact, it's something I really look forward to doing every two weeks. Um, something you find listeners have encouraged me to keep doing. I'm really grateful for that and it's allowed me to capture some really wonderful conversations and learn a lot along the way. It's also allowed me to meet a lot of amazing people like today's guest, for instance, and a lot of those people who've come and gone um, over the course of 250 shows really have had a lasting impact on my life. So uh, for 250 shows, I am incredibly proud, incredibly grateful, and I look forward to doing Let's say at least a hundred more. I don't want to say another two fifty, but I, I I think maybe I've got another hundred in me.
1: you're you're way up over two fifty. What are you at now? I'm at like three fifty oh, And 350. I mean, lacquers. Part of it's because, like for so long, we did weekly episodes. Um, right. this year we went down to bi-weekly to your schedule. Oh, okay, okay. But also on top of that, throughout the general process, um there were a lot of bonus episodes that aren't numbered um there are a lot of episodes we recorded that i just didn't release um (laughs) like because of either they recorded poorly or i was just too lazy that week and didn't get around to editing and i just kind of eventually get to a point where you're like screw it i can't even bother yeah,
0: once you get to once you get to a certain point, like the whole production, just it sort of starts to take on flux, right? Like you start taking on these side projects, and you start like posting like live shows that don't really count in the number. So it, it's you know it, it starts all one, two, three, four, and then you get to like you know one hundred and twenty five A.
1: Yeah, I I imagine someday like Sesame Street will come after me, and the count will show up and just slap me a lot and be like, you don't know how this works. No, you don't. So, you know, I say 100 more. But speaking of more, the next year
0: for the show is going to be one where the ground is likely going to shift under its feet again. I mean, it's pretty safe to say that none of us are going to be going to the cinema again, at least until June. And I mean, that's being really hopeful. And none of us really know what that will mean for new content. And this, of course, is a show largely dedicated to new content. So my hope is to map out seven episodes dedicated to new-ish movies that go on demand, a lot of 2020 uh, holdovers, festival favorites, that kind of thing, um, so that I can give you some new sh- episodes into at least March, and then kind of reassess things come the spring thaw. We may go ahead like usual, or we may end up falling back through the spring and summer and do another series of Winchester Chronicles. So, Please just stay optimistic and stay tuned. Uh, you know, where that whole thing is concerned, I'm taking a page out of today's guest because y'all have always rolled with the punches in terms of what you talk about, be it something that's new on screens or something that's on demand.
1: Yeah, we ever since, and I think part of it came from the fact that we were not in the North American market. So, like, the concept mm-hmm. of keeping up with what would be the fun conversation in film Twitter world, let's call it. Right. Was just impossible for us for the most part. Yeah. Uh, So we always, eventually after a while, we just gave up on trying to stay with always new releases because we didn't want to do the effectively 52 shows a year of January-esque movies.
0: Finally, uh, one tradition that we will continue on this episode is music. Typically, on the final podcast of the year, I include a bed track of my favorite songs of the year under the conversation. And this year, that'll include artists like Margot Price, Megan Thee Stallion, Taylor Swift, and The Weeknd, amongst others. If you happen to find the music too distracting, uh, take a look into your podcast feed. You'll see a second version of this episode drop it'll be tagged as music-free. So you can go to that one. It's got a lot less music in it. It's just got the little transition tracks like usual and nothing playing underneath our conversation. So as for today's show, we are doing things a little different because it's 2020. Everything's different than the usual year-end top five. So what we have ahead of us is three categories where we are going to honor films Uh, under various uh, headings, and then we're going to end up with a uh, truncated top three conversation. Uh, So we're going to begin with uh, our first section and I'm calling, you know, I got to still get my little musical references in there. So I'm calling the first section you're missing. And this is the 2020 movie that we missed the most. I realize that this is a strange conversation because we're going to be waxing poetic about something that we haven't actually experienced, but you know, we lost a lot this year. So as far as 2020 films concerned, I thought it might be a good way to pour one out for something that that we didn't get around to in the cinema. So Andrew, why don't you get us going? What is the movie that you really wanted to, to get to this year and you have now missed the most?
1: It was hard for me to really come up with one film because you know, there are a lot of movies we're generally excited about every year. There are movies you and I debate over movies that we we fanboy over constantly. But in my head, I feel like it's easy to take a break from those where I'm like, cool, I got a year without a fast and foolishness. I'm okay. The movie that when I took a peek, like I went back and what I did was I went back to January on a lot of websites and I went to a lot of their anticipated lists. I was like, let's take a peek at what people were looking forward to that just didn't appear. And the movie that stood out to me that I was like, yeah, I would have been so excited to see this film um, is the Candyman film that was planned for 2020, um, which, uh, directed by Nia DaCosta, everybody got to see the, um, what looks like some sort of intro um, preamble to the film, I think, got put online, uh, which, I'm going to be honest, I've only seen like snippets of, because I'm like, I don't need to watch the thing, I want the whole movie. At the same time, I think about it, and I'm like, that's even though, honestly, I have never seen a Candyman movie. <laughs> it's it's a movie I'm fascinated by, especially as we've come along in the years to seeing movies like, say, Get Out, where these horror films are no longer horror films that make the experience of others. A horror for the people in power but as opposed to taking the perspective of those people's experience and expressing them in a mode of horror i'm not saying that's exactly what the candy man movie is going to be because obviously i've not seen it but it made me excited to see more of those style of horror movies if we're going down that road
0: Another recurring theme of this episode is going to be Andrew stole my answer because in these categories that uh, I gave you um, at least four times over, you swooped in and you took one that I had circled as my answer if you didn't take it. And this was mine. Um, I In the last 10 years, I've really, really come around to horror. It wasn't my genre growing up. And now it's at the point where the really good, offerings are ones that i usually clamor towards i'm still not so deep into the genre that i want to go to like you know do a lot of midnight madness or do a lot of th- those kinds of festivals um just because i find that a lot of those movies are um much more about the crowd than they are about what's on screen and that's not really me power to you if that's your thing but it's not it's not my relationship with with horror film um, Candyman. I did see the original several years ago when I was doing a horror syllabus for myself. Somebody suggested that I see Candyman. And that original one from the early 90s, it's good, but it's uh, aging in a way that a lot of those 90s films are aging, which is to say that it's a little bit muddy around the edges. It's a little ramshackle in terms of its production, but as you say, at the core, at the heart of it, it is still taking somebody else's experience and turning that into something really affecting and really terrifying. Um, and just giving us something different than the boogeyman under the bed, even though Candyman is, of course, like very much a boogeyman under the bed. Going back there with a, like a modern polish on it, that would have been reason enough for me to be interested. But along with that, we've got a cast and a crew that I am deeply invested in. So it's directed, as you said, by Nia DaCosta, who I earlier on this year watched. Her feature debut, uh, Little Woods, which is a beautiful movie with Tessa Thompson and Lily James. Tessa Thompson is also one of those actors who, anytime she's in something, I'm automatically interested. Lily James, of course, sort of a similar idea. And it's one of these just kind of smaller working class movies. It reminded me a lot of um, Frozen River in a certain way. It kind of takes place in that similar pocket of america like right on the canadian border so when i saw that movie and just bell so hard for it i'm like what else is this woman doing i'm like oh she's the one who's doing Candyman. that's awesome then of course after all of that she gets tapped to direct the next captain marvel movie so i am totally in for whatever this woman's <laughs> gonna do just for another captain marvel connection Candyman stars tayona paris who was on Mad Men. She was just in It Feels we Could Talk. She is also going to be in Captain, uh, Captain Marvel 2. She's going to be on um, WandaVision in a few weeks. So you put all these things together into one project, and I'm just, I'm totally excited.
1: I mean, the one thing I have to say, and I find it fascinating, I'm going to put you and Damien in the same bucket here. Sure. Um, over the last decade of us doing the podcast, both of our podcasts have kind of lived for the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, i'm just less consistent about posting than you are um <laughs> the the development of the two of you as your relationship to horror movies has fascinated me because both of you like you claim it was because you were scared damien just thought they were bad right <laughs> <laughs> um and over the years of doing the podcasts like he is he has figured out like his pockets of where those movies exist for him and the movies he loves, And he's no longer just blanketing the movies with how all horror movies are awful. And I love it. Um, But I think also more what I love for myself over the last decade of doing the podcast and all of the general filminess we've been doing to each other over the last decade of all of our online existence is coming to realize how much my love for, and it'll come out when we start talking about, our eventual top three, my love for the concept of genre movies, which is not necessarily movies that stick to any specific dramatic tone or any like realism, but movies that are willing to stick out on a limb and just be themselves in their own weird ways.
0: Well, as far as my uh, choice for a
1: film that I'm missing
0: this year is concerned, I wanted to think about what I, what I enjoy most about going to, uh, a cinema especially not so you know like like i'm i'm happy that i'm able to see a lot of these things at home and they are generally working reasonably well at home but what i find i i miss most about going into a cinema is the pure spectacle you know i i enjoy the intimacy of of a dark room i certainly enjoy 2 hours of not looking at my phone but i really just love the pure over the top larger than life spectacle That comes in a movie theater and when i think about spectacle i think about a lot of different things but one of the things that i also kind of grasp to is the spectacle that comes with musical theater so back in august we were supposed to get a dose of this back in august we were supposed to get a a show by um, a seminal talent that would probably have struggled a little bit to find its audience it wouldn't have been an over-the-top hit the way that you know a lot of the franchises are but i feel like i would have been especially in that like opening weekend i would have been amongst my people and i'm talking about the new film from john Chu, who directed crazy rich asians he was going to be adapting in the heights which is a musical by um Manuel Miranda, it was kind of his big breakthrough before Hamilton um, the man had a massive hit before Hamilton. if you can even imagine that like that was his that was his encore um and it's it's this beautiful story of latino Americans in um, in Washington Heights New York um and, and just kind of they're they're coming together and they're dealing with this wild little situation and all sorts of things that you know, also that 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 go along with it. Um, it's an amazing show. It's got some wonderful music. It's got incredible energy. It would have been a summer movie for sure. Like this, if this had have dropped, if let's say if things had have settled themselves down, and it had dropped in December, it wouldn't have felt the same because this movie is all set during this like one really really hot weekend, kind of in the same way of um, do the right thing and i was really really i'm still really looking forward to it it's a warner brothers movie so i know i'm gonna get to see it this year at home um but i really wanted to get that experience of seeing in the heights on a big screen and i still hope
1: i do i that was a movie i was very much looking forward to i it was before i had seen hamilton i sadly still have not seen hamilton live i've only seen it on the disney stream and i mean I can't claim to be a Hamilton fan because people like Douglas and Lindsay exist.
0: <laughs>
1: uh, you know, because I've only watched it the once, but they've watched it. I don't. I. I'm pretty sure if I ask them for a number, it's it's one of those numbers where you think about math and they're like, it can't be quantified.
0: Uh, like I'm I'm pretty deep in the tank for Hamilton, uh, but but she's got me like hell beat when when it comes to that concern. I'm sure she'd like she probably schooled Douglas. Uh, that's I think that's where I'm at. I'm somewhere in between Lindsay and Douglas
1: even before I had heard like the style of Hamilton, I mean, everybody probably had heard like songs or like clips of them long before they got to see the show. I'm sure at this stage. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. But like when I seen the trailer for in the Heights, like immediately I knew that's the musical I wanted to see as much as like, I think this year we were also promised a Spielberg West side story and oh, West side yeah. story is one of my favorite musicals. Um, so, I mean, but in the Heights just seems like a joyous, energetic thing that I can't wait to see.
0: Yeah, I mean, it. you know, I am looking forward to, I'm certainly looking forward to West Side Story as well, but that movie is going to come with a lot more baggage in terms of the fact that it's it's a remake. It's a remake of a classic. It's a remake of, a you know, a Best Picture winning classic. And as much as I trust Steven Spielberg to do a well crafted and, um, you know, well approached remake, it's still just got like such a high bar to clear whereas something like in the heights you're just you're taking the work and you're adapting it to a new medium and i feel like that's you know gives you a much smoother road to to a great experience you're not you might you know a person like Lindsay might constantly be thinking back to what she's seen on a stage and i mean i've even i have seen a production of this so there might be a moment or two where i'm thinking back to what i saw on a stage but generally speaking i'm just i'm just in it to win it so this is the one that I think was, in terms of spectacle, I was really missing out on more and probably would have just come away from with less questions, less nits to pick and, and just more pure enjoyment.
1: Fine, boys, and you're just more like, I'll just take what they give me and it'll be lovely. Exactly.
0: There we go. That is our uh, that's our selections for the films from 2020 that we missed. We look forward in some fashion to seeing them in 2021 and um hey, we might even have conversations about them on this show. We're going to take a quick break and come back with our next section right after this. Come on back, won't you? will oh, you tell me about the looting? What's that really all about? Cuz lives like paper towels plus unemployment rate what 40 million now killed a man in broad day might never see a child we just want to break chains like slaves in the south started in the north end but we in the downtown riot cops try to block now we got a showdown we're back we're going to move on to the next section here on the year-end matinee cast where we're summing up 2020 we've been talking about the films that we missed now we're going to move ahead into of course what we have seen and this is going to where we really kind of stretch the conversation i'm sure because now we're talking about things that have unfolded in front of our eyes less wish fulfillment um this is the section we're calling wicked as it seems or subtitle this was a movie this is the kind of thing that on and on and on has perplexed cinephiles moviegoers movie critics is what was a movie what wasn't a movie there's a lot more gray area now that uh, you know television and internet are a larger portion of the film lovers experience you know like it, it cinema does not end outside the walls of a cinema. So there's a lot more gray area. So I have opened up a floor um, and I, I'm actually surprised Andrew because I thought you were gonna go in a very different direction with this because I really gave you carte blanche. I was ready for you to tell me that Red Dead Redemption was a movie.
1: Like, in the year of 2020, when we don't have that many films, and a lot of people, I feel, who generally would do like, their top 10 lists probably don't have 10 films, that they would officially say, I love all these movies. Like, in that year, I kind of want to fill in video games because, I mean, 2020, if, if movies were shit because a lot of them were held back, video games had carte blanche and they did their thing, right? right. So video so. games are really good.
0: Instead, once again, you s- swooped in and stole an answer that I was had kind of earmarked. So tell people about this this opus that you say this was a movie.
1: I am one of those people who is very stringent with the, as you call it, the decision making between movie, TV, and etc. Okay. Um, like all those people who t- talk about Twin Peaks can go and jump off a cliff as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, that was um, TV. <laughs> um but my precedence is um i'm trying to remember the year i think it was 2015 um the oj simpson documentary that i had a uh, i had very staunchly decided was a movie um and i stuck to my guns so i'm staying on that mode and talking about the the michael jordan documentary from this year and that is the last dance and this this movie um this this movie is something that came at the only time it could have come first of all it was something that was brought out earlier than expected um sort of like hamilton where since the pandemic started they're like look people are home they need something we're gonna push this a couple months up right, right. Um, sports had locked down i'm sure you of all people remember this well of being no sports for like a month um a month? and it was longer than a month buddy it felt like a month or or maybe my memory of time has been so warped due go. to the year that i just imagine it's a month um but yeah so the world was just going reeling from what to what to enjoy at home and then um espn gave us a hand and said how about we talk about michael jordan and the bulls um and gave us the film the last dance the the movie is just so fantastic it's so wonderful it's one of these in-depth documentaries and it's it's cemented my concept that i that i believe needs to be needs to be heard by all documentarians and not necessarily movie documentarians but any sort of person who's documenting history which is i almost refuse to allow us to consume this sort of history as it's happening in a lot of ways because so much of it is held close to the chest and you'll never hear the real stories right oh yeah Yeah, yeah. happen like 30 40 years after the fact when people can talk and that's kind of what made this so great to me uh, 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 to kind of hear people go through this because these are the kind of interviews you would not hear in regular sports talk that we hear every other day in every press conference in every moment of like sports people's constant haranguing in front of a microphone um but more to the point what i love even more is at the time when we were all reeling from no sports i feel and you can tell me how it felt for you even though a lot of these games you might have seen years on it felt like we were watching live sports again like you were cheering for those dunks for those passes for those blocks in ways that you thought this was almost like a live game you were watching and it just brought me up
0: what i loved about this This series is that it shouldn't work because, on the one hand, you're 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 covering ground that has kind of been covered in some ways before. Uh, Like there have been documentaries about Jordan and the Bulls in the past, but in widening out the scope to go over the entire career of Jordan and the entire six, you know, I mean, eight years, but you know, you've got two years in there where. Things happened, the entire dynasty of the Bulls over the course of 10 hours. You're really allowing the scope to play out and for you know to, to really understand that you saw something special. Like it's it's really hard as a sports fan to understand that you are seeing something exceptional as you're seeing it. We just kind of basketball just kind of went through this again with the Golden State Warriors, a team that for five years. Just shredded everybody in their path and became, you know, loved by their fan base and hated by everybody else. And it just, you know, while it's happening, it just really feels like it's going to go on and on and on. And I mean, five years in the world of sports is a lifetime. Everything has to end, though. And that's the thing is to look back on it after it's ended. That's when you get the perspective. That's when you get the maybe we could have done one more or maybe we could have done this or maybe we could have done that along with them breaking down the shit that did work. Like that's the crazy thing is you're listening to this, you're listening to them talk about this final championship. And that season was just filled with so much drama, so much drama. And I mean, I mean like the bad kind of drama, I'm not talking about like, you know, a narrative device. I'm talking about grown ass men who cannot get on the same page, whether it's, one person wants to be traded or one person wants a vacation or a whole bunch of them don't know if they're going to be there next year and watching it all with the perspective of history like you say was just incredible
1: it's remarkable i mean first of all it gave us probably the best meme of 2020 for a long time of responding to the tablet yeah uh, I mean, the thing I like to hold on to is him saying I took that shit personally. <laughs> um, yeah,
0: and, know, I mean, for, one of the, for one of the greatest athletes of all
1: time, he sure had a thin skin. And right? and the thing I had in my head, and I don't think anyone—I don't think anyone in the show actually said it, or maybe never said it in these exact words. In my head, every time that queued up you got the you got the response of what he did my head the punchline was someone saying and he was never heard from again
0: <laughs> right the last dance is definitely a movie um kind of like what you bring up with the um the oj miniseries um oj simpson made in america i mean that that year that was my number two movie and i said that is absolutely a movie i think that was about the same length, too, because... I yeah, think it, was, it was like, was like
1: six, six to eight. ten episodes? I don't remember. It was
0: five episodes, but the episodes were longer. Um, and, like, the, the the last dance was ten episodes, but they were all about 45 minutes. Um, you know, I could see the last dance playing something like Hot Dogs. I could see the last dance playing at something like TIFF. Like, TIFF has, li- has liked... TIFF has enjoyed doing this thing where they take a long... Series and they play it all as an event, or they play half of it, or that kind of thing. Um, yeah, no, the, the Last Dance is definitely. It not only is it a movie, but it is one of the best movies of the year. And and I do enjoy when these documentary series happen because they really they show you what nonfiction can be when it has the time. I, I think a lot of people really see long documentary series and they kind of get this like glazed, dry PBS Ken Burns thought in their head, but it's just it can be so much fun, it can be so funny, so exciting when you just invest the time and yeah, like you said, this certainly came just at the right time when everybody really wanted some sports. That's that's the thing I do like the other thing about um, The Last Dance is it has now effectively dropped the mic on the 1990s Bulls, you know, like there, there's nothing more to be said now there's there's no more documentaries coming about the subject, it has been covered when one of the interviewees within your documentary is a former american president
1: you're done i know espn has been in the 30 for 30 series forever um so they are not um, being the broadcasting station they are there they're not shy away from long-form documentary Um, about sports but i imagine that given the success of this thing we're we're expecting in the next 10 years to see a lot more of this style of sports documentary
0: oh there's gonna be i mean listen the other thing I, i do like about um films like this is you will attest to this by and large athletes are idiots if you put a microphone in front of an athlete and you ask them How did it feel out there? You are going to get the same canned piece of gobbledygook that does not at all answer the question. At the very least, this gives them a chance to really think for a minute or two and talk and not have to worry about, I'm going to have to play with that guy again tomorrow so I can't call him out now, or I'm playing for a contract in three months so I can't rock the boat too much now. It really gives athletes a chance to... Express themselves properly if they have it in them, and the ones that don't have it in them, you don't have to include them in the movie. Well, my answer for this was a film uh, has been causing a lot of controversy lately for reasons I don't entirely understand because it really should be academic. I'll and settle
1: this for you. So just let me know and I'll I'll give you your answer.
0: <laughs> I, I think I know. I think I know what your answer is going to be too. Um, and it's actually like I'm kind of cheating because it's it's a film I haven't even. If, I, if I'm going with this is a film, it's a film I haven't even entirely finished, but where I'm at in it, I'm like, no, no, this is a film. My answer for this question is The Small Acts Anthology by Steve McQueen.
1: When I started it, I wanted to make the clear decision that that was not a film, it were, they were films, right? Individual episodes, you pick the one you like, right? Um, okay. now, now having, I'm like four out of five so far. Um, I see it all as one, and I will accept that this is a film. This is a film. This, I
0: believe, is very much in the same bucket as Three Colors or, um, you know, the Decalogue, both of them by Kieslowski, where, yeah, these chapters do stand alone by themselves and you can just say that mangrove is a movie of its own or lover's rock is a movie of its own and you can go back and forth about like which one is the best and which one's the weakest and whatever and so on and so on and so on but they come as one grand vision and one overarching narrative and one large project you know that has all of these various moving pieces within it and is you know really and truly quite ambitious um it was the only question about whether or not it is a film or a series of films is that it was the platform that delivered it was television the platform that delivered it in europe was bbc and in north america was amazon and that seems to have muddied the waters as to oh well it's a miniseries and i'm like no this is not a miniseries Mangrove is two hours. You know, that that's that I don't care what prestige television show that you want to cite in this golden age of television, no episode of television goes for two hours. You know, none of them. I don't care if it's Sherlock, Game of Thrones, none of them go for two hours. That mangrove especially is a film. These are a series of films that are all tied together by this one experience, these these singular voices, and deserves to be mentioned in the same breath as something like three colors
1: um firefly had a 90 minute episode so i mean like, it's yeah, not two hours
0: there's a I mean, big difference between 90 minutes and two
1: hours they set the tone with that first episode that first film mangrove which right now i'm going to be honest with you like if i if i'm doing this for my list which is not a part of our list conversation i'm pulling mangrove out rather than calling it all as one um and that's just my personal preference. The Steve McQueen, as far as I'm concerned, has cheated and released five movies in a year in which no one has any movies out.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's, that's. I mean, that's the thing. He's like, "What? You're gonna clear the ro- You're gonna clear the road for me? All right. I'm not gonna just play one card. Here's my whole hand.
1: He. he I think he's like banking it so he can like take ten years off.
0: <laughs> Something like that. I mean. I, I do love that the man has inserted himself back into the Oscar conversation after everybody just basically shrugged off Widows, which is a crime unto itself.
1: Oh, Widows. That was that was a fantastic film.
0: Still is a fantastic film. Um, yeah, no. Small acts. And as I said, I'm still working my way through it and really, really enjoying where it's taking me. I, I hope that I can finish it by the time the year is out. But small acts and all of the lives that it brings in and all of the just time that it spends with its various things. Like, you know, lover's Rock is actually where I started. And this is a film that decides it wants nothing more to do than to play a song at a party three times over, uh, over and like the, the same pure joy. That you have as a kid when you hear a new song and you play it and you play it and you play it. There's no, you of- know
1: what kind of club you're at. You're at the Jamaica club um, <laughs> where they, they club and they just run it again Right. yeah, um, like where are you in this? Have you you seen Mangrove and Lover's Rock? Have you seen more?
0: No, that's by the time by the time like the night is is done I'll have seen at least one more of these. And as I said, uh, by the time the ball drops on New Year, by the time this episode goes up, I will be finished.
1: I am four deep and the okay. third episode, the one with John with Boyeco, yeah, um has what might be my favorite moment of the series so far. It is an <laughs> innocuous moment, but it is a it is a it is one of those moments that uh, I don't know how I'd speak to it to being a specific Caribbean moment, but maybe it's just specific to me as it's something my family did all the while. Um, okay. We're a big Scrabble family. Scrabble. And there's a scene early on in the, in the film in which the family is gathered probably for di- Sunday lunch, Sunday dinner, and they're playing Scrabble. They're having a time. The father is having, is enjoying the fact that he just put down a big, a big point word. And he's like, yes, I'm, I'm you, you have to have your patience. You have to win this and um then um boyega is there with um it's not really clear at that point in time whether it is his wife or his girlfriend but his partner um and she plays down sex and because it's a family gathering suddenly you can see the <laughs> all turn all become very 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 um uncomfortable um, and you see you, the camera actually shows you the father's hand and he has a Y to play sexy and play out his hand and be wonderful. But he passes through cause he's like, I'm not doing that right now. <laughs> and <I'm> like, <laughs> It is one of my favorite moments of this, of that whole series of films. Oh man, that sounds incredible. I
0: mean, and that's, that's where I look like this movie has the time to do these things. This movie has the time to, You know, watch a Scrabble game. This movie has the time to play a song three times over. It has the time to watch people cook and to really, really just celebrate a culture, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's not worried about just pushing one core plot through in two hours or two and a half hours, even. It has the time to really take a lot of life and culture and put it onto the screen. And I love it for that. This was a movie and I'm so happy it exists. I'm really looking forward to one day getting some sort of a beautiful physical copy of this because I believe that it will exist in some, some version somewhere. I know we're into a weird age where physical media is, is taking a, a big old hit, but I look forward to the box set of small acts on my shelf at one point or another. We're going to take another break for a quick moment. Come on back. We've got more content right after this. We're back. He's Andrew Robinson. I'm Ryan McNeil. It's Matt Cast 250. We're summing up 2020, the garbage fire that was 2020, the catastrophe that was 2020, with highlights of 2020. Um, and we're on to a section now that I'm calling Sing for the Moment. This is where we are tapping one movie to sum up this year. If, if somebody were to ask you in the future, what was it like to live in 2020? this is the film we would point them towards. And I am actually really excited because you have chosen a film that I haven't even heard of. So tell people about The Wolf of Snow Hollow.
1: You know, Ryan, that hurts a lot because I'm pretty sure I told you to watch this movie like around two, three weeks ago. Well, right. you tell me a lot of things, man. <laughs> um, I know I didn't I didn't harp it as much as other films this year, but, you know, it still hurts. Um, so <laughs> this movie is, um, I th- I don't think it's his second film, but it's the second film I've seen by him. Um, Jim Cummings, um, actor and director. Um, The second film that I've seen um, last year was the film Thunder Road. That was a big hit for me. Um, Now it's The Wolf of Snow Hollow, which is a genre-ass genre movie in which a in a small town up in some cold place. I've forgotten the name of it. Actually, you know what? It's Snow Hollow. I just, I just don't know where it's pretending to be. <laughs> I, I, I can't tell you that this is Wisconsin's Hills or something. I don't know where they're pretending this, this area is. It's called Snow Hollow. Um, there is a bunch of random murders happening, um, and the bodies are just eviscerated, and all they say is it's done by a wolf. And this whole time, um, the main character, played by Jim Cummings, who is a deputy in the sheriffs, um, is the only man who's walking around and claiming this can't be a wolf. There's no such thing as a werewolf. It's a man. This is a real th- We have to be in reality, while everyone else in the town is slowly but surely starting to believe, like as the murders continue, that a werewolf is running around their town. Um, and in the year of 2020, in the year of disinformation and people believing horseshit, This movie kind of fits the bill for me. Also being a movie I really, truly adore. Um, Jim Cummings, he did the same thing in Thunder Road, plays this wonderful part of the um, lovely detective slash core of your film, who is at the same time going through an emotional breakdown Um, in this movie, there's a, there's a whole thing about alcoholism that his character is going through and like, he's a recovering alcoholic, um, and stuff going on, but everything around him just becomes more and more lunacy while all of these murders are going on and you're following the clues and the detectiving going through. And it is like Fargo on drugs, but even more insane. And you even have the the concept of nepotism in here as his character is the son of the sheriff of the town who is played by Robert Forrester in one of his final roles. You can tell the feeling in the office is people being like, "I'm not saying you're a bad detective, but we would be a lot meaner to you if your father. Wasn't here. <laughs> 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 um, and I just love this movie. I love Jim Cummings and the way he plays his character and i i I'm sincerely on the Jim Cummings train, and I know there's like one other feature film he did before the two I've mentioned this and Thunder road that i need to I need to find now um but yeah S- the wolf of Snow Hollow go watch it guys.
0: I'm very very interested uh in this. He's only got Thunder Road and, and the Wolf of Snow Hollow. He's got another one coming out. He's got others that he was involved in, like where he produced, like he produced something called Beast beast. Um, and he produced, uh, he was a producer on, uh, Kreisha and the grief of others. Um, I'm curious. I, I, I like the idea of, you know, it's pouring rain. You're standing there getting really wet and despite, you know, somebody who only has your best interest in heart saying, open your umbrella, you will look stone face back at them and say, I don't believe in umbrellas. That is that is really and truly where we have got to in 2020. And, and at the worst possible time, it has been building for years. And this year, it like it took its normal game and went pro you know, in so many ways. And we're not even done with it, unfortunately, because now to get us out of the hole we've we've found ourselves into, we have to take medicine. And we know there are a lot of people out there who do not trust medicine. So unfortunately, we might be watching The Wolf of Snow Hollow and seeing connections for a few more years. But yeah, I, I do like I like your math here on on how you got to this. Of of this, uh, you know, of singing for the moment with the Wolf of Snow Hollow.
1: It also helps that it's like one of my favorite films I have seen this year. So I mean, like, it's it's not even like I'm like, all right, the story matches the 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 theme we're going for. But don't watch this movie; it's bad. This movie is actually really great.
0: <laughs> <I, laughs> I no, mean, that's I mean, that's the thing. Like, I never wanted to you know take these sections and point people towards shitty movies. Like that, that's you know, that's never what I want to do on this podcast. Um, but you know, like, we have more leeway here than just these are the great movies it's like you know this is it might not necessarily make my top five or my top 10 but you've just given me a reason to talk about it that's why i want to talk about it so you know certainly when it comes to something like wolf of snow hollow or last dance or or in the heights that's what i'm enjoying about this this particular episode is more than just counting down the best stuff we're also talking about other stuff that was really really good for a very specific reason um my movie Um, that I feel was 2020 in a film. I'm going a little more on the nose, um, but I feel like it's still a movie that people are kind of catching up to, um, especially in Canada, where it wasn't available until quite recently. Um, I went with a Hulu film starring Andy Samberg and uh, Kristen
1: Malati called Palm Springs. Did you ever catch up with this? Yeah, I definitely saw this. And I'm going to be honest, this definitely was the first film that came to mind when when I read the category. I'm like... That, that seems like the biggest fit this year. And I know Ryan will talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, I, thank you for that. Thank you for not like swooping in
0: and stealing my thunder for a third time in three categories. Um, Palm Springs is a story about a guy who goes to a destination wedding and manages to start living the same day over and over and over again. And through a weird little coincidence while he's doing this he manages to draw two other people from this wedding into this time loop that he finds himself stuck in. And then it becomes, well, shit, what do you do with the loop? All right? Now, this is very much in a vein of Groundhog Day. But Groundhog Day, of course, has a lot of personal growth that comes with it. Plus, it kind of has the quiet nihilism of, of Bill Murray. Here we've got Andy Sandberg and Kristen Melati and they're not out to—they're not out to do Groundhog Day. They're not out to show you that same beat over and over and over and over, and find how these little variations might eventually add up to the perfect day. These are two people that find themselves stuck and go through the various stages of what do we do now that we're stuck? Right? Like at, at some at sometimes it's like well maybe none of it matters. Other times it's no, now it really doesn't matter until eventually it becomes, I need to get out of this loop and I'm actually going to do the work and figure out how to get out of it. This movie, which I saw during the summer, like when it became really apparent that this was going to go on for a while, like, you know, I feel like 2020 has gone on so long that we have forgotten how this all progressed. Like when the pandemic was really beginning, We all thought that it might just be a few weeks, and then we thought that it might just be a few months, and now we are so deeply ensconced in the reality that this is our lives now, and it's going to be for at least a good little while longer, that we really shouldn't make plans. And that's what Palm Springs is in a nutshell. It is, you know, you're going to find yourself in a situation, and you're going to think that you can just explain it away, but you really need to get into your new reality and figure out how it best suits you and how you can make the most of it.
1: Um, yeah, I mean, there are many things I, I'm i expecting as time is going on that will become more and more normal for our lives, even after this is over. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's still the question of what after really is, um, as to whether after will be like, oh, we're all clean, or if it will be like, um we're now basically going to treat it like the flu and it's around but you kind of hope you don't get it as much and stuff like that so there are many things about 2020 that we're going into and i continue i know i, I know damien hates it when i call it this i continue to look to next year and i'm calling i'm not calling it 2021 it's 2020 new game plus right <laughs> and we're now going on a harder difficulty. And we're we're running this again and hoping we can finish it faster.
0: <laughs> it's I mean it's very much going to be like that. I I, I see uh, you know when I was when I had uh, when I had the TV on on Christmas Day and I saw an ad for the Olympics. I, I looked at it. I was like, oh yeah, we're going to try that. I don't want to say this is a bad idea, but you know what? It was a bad idea. Um, yeah, Palm Springs. If people haven't seen it by now, really and truly, it like it will. It will feel like your life, and, and maybe it will give you an idea of what, how you should be embracing this, um, You know, whether it's to laugh at it, or just to make fun of it, or to accept the absolute chaos that it is. Um, this is absolutely the, mo- the film of 2020 that I will point people towards in the future and if you haven't seen it by now go check it out and you'll find out why
1: i don't know if this comes down to the production team if it comes down to who is making these stories which is actually the thing we talk about a lot with these films but i walk away from that film and as much as i enjoy it and i love it for the thing it is because i am a i am a mega fan of the andy andy samberg chick right And it's, it's written around him and he is part of the production team and makes that thing work for me. Um, but I left that movie just completely enamored with Samberg and JK Simmons on top. Right. <laughs> I know, I know she was in the movie and did fantastically. There's like a great dance scene that I love at a, at a bar, at a pool bar. That's just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah. is it just me that that's how I left the film or is it, is it the, as we like to put it, the people who wrote that story?
0: I don't like it's 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 hard for me to answer that question because one of the things that drew me into the movie is actually something different than drew you in I was quite pulled in by Kristen Miladi I love her as a performer um I love uh, she she's a singer I love her voice and every time she's in something she brings this extra energy so I thought to myself If I was stuck in a day over and over and over and over, who are some of the people that I would like to be stuck in that day with? And she's one of those people. All right, we're gonna take another quick break, but then we're gonna come back after this and actually start counting down some of our favorite films of the year. Come on back right after this. All right, the time has come to put aside criteria and qualifiers and special labels and just get straight to the meat of the matter and talk about the Diamond Dogs, our top films of 2020. And again, I said this off the top of the show, I'll say it again. There were incredible films that came out this year, and just because we couldn't go to a theater to see them doesn't mean there weren't incredible. And if you need help finding them that's what we're here to do but these films exist on all kinds of various platforms which admittedly is annoying that you can't just go to one place and find them all but they are there and they will affect you they will entertain you they will maybe make your day just a little bit more joyous and i hope that you will go and find some of these and of course after i say all of that we're going to start with one of the films that is easiest to find and kind of became a whole other conversation this year. Andrew, why don't you get us started with your number three, your bronze medal selection?
1: Um, the bronze medal, it goes to the the king of Please Go Outside and Get Sick, um, Mr. Chris Nolan, um, and that is Tenet. Um, it's now safe to watch it. You can now get your Blu-ray or... 4k or rent it from all of the platforms you can watch the film is about john david washington who plays an unnamed protagonist who you only hear called the protagonist which oh my god i love so much um who is a cia operative spy man and gets whisked up into this plot that. it can only be described as a James Bond film. Um, Kenneth Branagh is a Russian megalomaniac who is in cahoots with this whole new technology that's being introduced in this film in which you can invert people and objects so that people are going back in time and forward in time and walking backwards and bullets are going back into guns. And in the middle of this, you have John David Washington as a spy man trying to save the world from the end of days. It is just a bonkers genre action movie, which it's one of it, the the one thing I give this movie that I complain to it. And it's something that I know will go away as I watch this movie more is that it's one of those things Nolan does a lot, which is he tells his audience to pay really close attention to the rules he's giving him at the beginning. And he doesn't necessarily break those rules by the end, but he definitely makes them so bombastic by the end that some people might walk away from it a little A little confused not necessarily a little lost kind of like doing too much math at once at the same time it still delivers that genre action punch that i love it is just an insane movie in which people are going forwards backwards there are scenes in there that people will deconstruct for years not just talking about how it made sense like in plot wise but how someone filmed it and made it work on the screen it is the kind of movie I love. I feel like this is this year's equivalent of The Matrix. Right? It did enough technically. It did enough science fictionally, and it had all of that action that just made everything to come together with characters that are amazing. Elizabeth Debicki, Robert Pattinson, Kenneth Branagh, and John David Washington are just incredible.
0: So I finally caught up with this yesterday. I was really soured on this whole this whole project for the longest time because when summer rolled around this became a whole other argument that i just grew more and more weary of which i don't understand why nolan and or warner brothers would have had this argument with the world with themselves there's all this now you know more light is coming as to who said what and who wanted to do what and i don't understand why they would have Pushed the issue because it became a lightning rod for this movie and took away from what was actually happening on the screen, right? And it was of their own doing. If they had just said, we're going to box what everybody else said, we're going to box it up and just wait. You know, we are confident with our material. We are just going to put it on the shelf and wait until it's safe to show it to you the way we want to show it to you. I wouldn't be thinking about it twice. I would just be, you know, agreeing with everything you just said, but because the issue was pushed, it got this very strange cloud and veneer around it. Now, I, as I said, I finally watched it yesterday and there's a lot of moments in this movie that are insane. There's a lot of moments in this movie that are absolute pure, large scale cinema that knowing Christopher Nolan, he mostly did practically. There's a lot of other moments in this movie that make zero sense. Like he is, he is asking me to do an awful lot of trigonometry in this movie to be able to add it all up. I went with it. I would never say that this is a bad movie. I would never say that this is a confusing movie. It, it makes sense in the grand scheme of what it's out to do. And it's kind of funny because at, at first I wasn't sold on what it was out to do because the whole idea of inverse technology, of like a bullet that comes back to its gun. It felt at first that they were only trotting it out when it was convenient to make a scene look cool, you know, and then you get about, uh, a little more than halfway into this movie. I want to say you get about two thirds of the way into this movie and it really shows its hand and tells you, all right, this is what we're about to do. And you see this happening. You're like, oh shit, of course. Okay. This is what you've been building to with all of these moments of, you know, a bullet coming backwards or somebody fighting backwards. This is what you've been building up to. All right,
1: let's go. Talking about it didn't make any sense. Number 1, and this is something like we've recorded a tenant conversation and it's something we got into where Chris Nolan writes his movies and presents his movies in a way in which they make you feel as though you are watch you are in a very confu very confusing but very educational TED talk in which <laughs> They want to make you feel like you're in university and you are a smart human being and we're treating you like a smart person. But also, we're not making those Fast and foolishness movies that we're like completely pretending, not pretending that you're smart. We know this is a dumb movie. But at the end of the day, I f- we've come to the understanding that Chris Nolan truly is making dumb movies, right? He just puts smart things in there and makes it sound smart. Um, for the audience, it's something that he invented. I don't know if we'd say invented, but he's perfected over the years. Especially when it came around to the Dark Knight, where everyone being like, "It's so gritty, guys! It's a dumb comic book movie." And Chris Nolan knows this. This is the this is the this is the thing he sells us, and he's done it so well, and he does it so well here. But also at the same point, what I think he puts in here, which is a concept that I've only seen best explained in video game design, which is the concept of building mechanics. So mechanics in video games is basically the way in which you interact with a video game so let's talk about mario brothers you jump right that is your one game mechanic you run and you jump right as the game as you're going through the game in level one it finds small and uninteresting but simple ways to explain to you how and when you should jump right it gives you easy ways to fail at using that mechanic so that you can figure it out and then do what you're doing And then as the game progresses, it throws more and more things at you that makes you have to find more and more interesting and intricate ways to use that mechanic, i.e. jumping. And that is what Chris Nolan did with this movie. Most movies try to do this, but some of them aren't that great. And some of them take the route of being like, I know I introduced you to this thing, but that guy who told you before, he has no idea what he's talking about. And it's really this other thing. And you just kind of go with it. And it's and it's dependent on how much you like the movie at the time. Chris Nolan truly and really built this mechanic up in this movie, as you were talking about, where he's where the whole f- first half of it, you're like, I get it, but I don't see when it's useful. And then right. the back half, movie like the usefulness of it comes truly into play Um, and it's only just about how much heavy lifting your brain is doing in trying to basically deconstruct the usages if you're one of those people who is doing that versus like stuff is blowing up and it's really cool, right?
0: (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to like about this movie. I I really do like that he took his large property and he rested it on the shoulders of John David Washington. He's been, like, Nolan has been doing that pretty much his entire career. Like, you know, you can say what you want about him using actors like Leonardo DiCaprio and Christian Bale and, uh, you know, Hugh Jackman. But he has no reservations of putting somebody like, Guy Pierce front and center, or putting somebody like um Joseph Gordon Levitt front and center, or Tom Hardy, like he basically made Tom Hardy's career because before um inception, he wasn't really a thing, and then all of a sudden he was a big, huge thing because of his supporting role in inception. So watching him take somebody who is as talented and charismatic as John David Washington and really now making him you know the front and center of this circus of. You know, special effects. I do love that, and I do love that he gets you know Pattinson back into it before he doesn't goes and does his Batman nonsense. And um, I sort of feel like he wasted Elizabeth Debicki. You know, he doesn't quite use Michael Kane as much as he usually does. He I mean, he's getting
1: up there, right? So well, yeah, yeah, you, yeah. Trust me, if, if you haven't if seen, if we're using your sports terms, he has to manage minutes on Kane now.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Load management for sure on <laughs> Michael Caine. You can't play him every game. Not a, not a chance. Um, yeah, no. This movie is very good. Uh, I, like it didn't make my top three. Um, and I got to be honest, like this movie really did need a big screen because I do believe that there's going to be a lot of people who tune into this and peace out after the first twenty minutes because it's just really, really bogged down with gobbledygook. If they were in a theater, they might have gone with it a little bit more, but yeah, I, I'm I'm here for it. It was really good. I was happy I saw it. Um, I would have enjoyed seeing a lot of these sequences on a screen, um, but it's, it is a very, very good movie and a good start to this conversation. Um, oh, my, I can't
1: wait for 2022 when I can go see this at the IMAX.
0: No kidding. I'm sort of cheating here because with us only having three films, I noticed there was going to be one overlap um, and it was going to be the film that I had at number three is actually going to be up at your number one. So what I've decided instead to do is I'm cheating and I'm going to bring my number four into the conversation to take the three spot because really and truly a lot of my movies from like two to five, I could really interchange them depending on the day. Like that, the, the top class of 2020 is a bunch of amazing movies that could really each kind of shuffle in and out of slot depending on my mood. So I'm taking my four, putting it at number three today, and my number four is a film directed by Eliza Hittman called "Never, Rarely, Sometimes, Always." Did you see this?
1: I did not. So this is a movie
0: about um, a 17-year-old girl named Autumn who lives in um, it's you know rural Pennsylvania. She's not exactly like, she's not out in the sticks, but she's in a very small town. And at 17 years old, she's pretty sure she's gotten pregnant and she goes to a a crisis pregnancy center to kind of get the scoop on, on what's going on. Like she, you know, she's a kid. She knows what, like what her body is going through, but she doesn't really know what her options are, what's possible. And this is a movie of very much of its moment because There's a whole raging debate in certain corners of the world about what kind of agency a woman should have over her body, and where these debates take place. It's never a game of all or nothing. Like it's it's very very cagey in that way that nobody has so far managed to make things completely legal. Or completely illegal, so the way that the side that wants to say illegal makes their point is that saying death by a thousand cuts so you make it a little harder and a little harder and a little harder and you put all these various little rules into place that end up adding up to not possible and that's what comes into play with autumn is she goes to basically you know in the states it's Planned Parenthood and she goes there and she thinks that she's going to be able to you know to to make her choice however because she's already 10 weeks pregnant that center can't take care of her so now she's got to go somewhere else uh, like she's she's got it's it's not a matter of well i'm just going to go to the center on the weekend and my parents aren't going to know and nobody else is going to know and i'm going to be able to get this taken care of now she's got to like make this whole song and dance about it and actually like leave town to get her choice taken care of. And you watch this kid, you know, the 17 year old kid going through this with only her best friend, another 17 year old kid at her side. It's a gorgeous movie. It's really subtle. Um, The main actress in it, Sydney Flanagan is off the hook. Amazing in this movie. Um, Just so, so raw and so powerful and it's so down to earth um, that I really believe it's the, it's the kind of movie that's just dripping with empathy and I feel like more people should really see. It doesn't wade into the weeds of whether or not abortion is right or wrong. you know like that is really not what it wants to say. All it wants to say is, you know, this is the way that our laws and our rules, affect the lives of a person who wants to make the choice of whether it's right or wrong for them.
1: It's one of those age old topics. I remember being in university and doing law courses, like required law courses that everyone had to do and hearing people debate these things, especially in Jamaica where like it is illegal. Mm -hmm. Um, It remains illegal. And the conversation is always about clarifying when it, it technically is legal. Um, which is a very minute occasion. And it's one of the occasions where I'm like, I understand why someone would want that to be an option. But at the same time, I'm like, I understand why someone would want it to be a general option a lot more often. It's kind of crazy. And yeah, put it this way, 2020 wasn't a year where I needed to see stories about mothers and children um, in which questioned a lot of life and death scenarios.
0: Yeah, it, like I mean, the the it's it the the best thing about it is that it really it's it's about her, you know, and and, it, and it's about the the hoops that she has to jump through. It's it's not about her wrestling whether or not to make the choice. Like I feel like that's a whole other movie. She makes her choice very early on, and then it becomes okay. I've made my decision. How do I do this, right? And you then find out how do I do this is actually a lot harder both emotionally and pragmatically than anyone her age would suspect. And that it's, it really puts you into her shoes in quite a profound way that I was really, really um, happy that I spent time with and saw, I would have, I would have liked to have seen this in a theater just because it would have locked me in, a little bit deeper this is a subtle movie uh, but even just at home on my couch this was really a great watch never rarely sometime always by eliza hipman uh your number two movie is one that you just would not shut up about so oh. I, I am not oh. at all surprised that oh. it's here oh, um, kids. <laughs> please, please tell people about this opus
1: First of all, I, I mean, I, I hope you, Sir Ryan, um, take my, take my example and live by it because I live in a world in which you, movies are seen at film festivals and talked about, but that movie is not seen by people for like three years. Um, and it upsets me sometimes. This movie I saw last year at TIFF. I know, I know what's coming, Ryan. Don't worry. I know what's there. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> but i know the truth right <laughs> um so this movie is uh, was officially able to be seen by people in 2020 the film of baccarau a brazilian film um i am going to pull up the directors because i cannot say them off the top of my head um directed by juliano dornells and clever mendoza filho filho um i try um i'm sorry um it's about it's about a small town, it's a remote town in Brazil called Bacaro, in which the matriarch has passed, and people come home for the funeral, and the bonkers story that appears after this. Um, a town, it's which, a, should, which you clarify, a town so small, it is no longer on the map. No longer on the map, and no one misses it. Um, <laughs> a town... <laughs> And it's one of these movies that embeds its genre nature into it in ways that you don't even notice the weirdness until it gets so large. Um, Like, I don't know about you when you were watching this movie, but when they first get to the town and she takes this psychotropic drug, you don't even think to yourself, something's gone off. You're just like, oh, maybe there's something going on in this small town of Brazil that I don't know they take drugs all the time. There is... Like... To talk about this movie in detail is to ruin it for anyone who won't see this, only to know that this is a movie of like five stories that could have been a series that went on because it is just five different concepts that go on. It changes from a a a neo-Western into a into a space thing, into a um, siege film, into a back to a western at the end and the movie is just so amazing with how it does its characters like people who get 5 minutes of screen time I feel I know better than main plot characters in some big budget movies yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> the the film is as as I love watching international films doesn't shy away from just the differences in how we view the world People in this movie whose jobs I wish I could be. If I had to pick one job from this movie, I'd want. I'd want to be that de- that that um that um uh, DJ slash um town ca- town crier who's just hanging around and playing music and saying, "Yo, dog, you need to go to your mother's house." Um, <laughs> there is the roaming prostitutes. There is there is the politician who rolls into town with a. With a garbage truck full of books and just like lets it out. And you already know what politician we're talking about. This movie was the perfectest crazy film that you could talk about. Is it still on the Criterion Channel, Ryan? Oh, yeah. I have to- yeah, oh yeah, this <laughs> is. Absolutely. This this
0: ape shit bonkers like you know, banana split of a movie. Is right in there nestled in with eight and a half and, and you oh. know breathless. Oh yeah.
1: So Ryan, I know you as a person somewhat well. Right? Sure. And sure. I know you are I know you are the prestige Oscar man. Right? You are not completely the genre person. No. Right. I knew that going in, I knew this wouldn't be on your list. Oh I don't think we've officially talked about your feelings on this movie. <laughs> And I feel I deserve it. <laughs> yeah.
0: So here's a fun little twist. This actually was on my list because back in summer, I started poking around various people's lists of the best 2020 movies so far. So that I could keep an eye out for them, see when they hit on demand, see when they hit the streaming services, you know, see if I could get my mitts on them however I could possibly get my mitts on them. And Baccarat was one of those titles that was mentioned. I didn't really, it came up more than once. And if a movie comes up more than once, I just, I I put it into the stack, right? Like I'm like, okay, this has been vetted. I'll put it into the stack and when I can see it, I can see it. And I, you know, every once, once every few weeks, I'd go down the list and I would like do a search for Baccarat or I'd do a search for, um, you know, Relic was another one of those that I went looking for or Emma is another one of those that I still haven't been able to find. Um so it was one that I had had circled and then when I saw it was it had turned up on Criterion I was like okay well now I've got my now I've got my channel so I can I can definitely take a look at it but for whatever reason I didn't then immediately chase it and then you started talking so I thought in my head this is either going to be a very good thing or a very very bad thing and and when you when you start poking me about about a film the way you did I'm like, I cannot tell. You're either setting me up to, <laughs> watch, to watch another FP or you're pointing me towards something as bonkers as R100. And this, I'm happy to say, is more the latter than the former. Baccarat was, ugh, like, it's, it has to be seen to be believed, really and truly. Like, you, from moment to moment, have no idea what kind of movie you have got yourself into, especially when you just come into it away from like a festival program. If I had of, if I had seen this the same way you did uh, at a festival and and seen the markers of its programming of like what um, you know, like what series it was in, who chose it, seeing the little write up on it, I might have had a different expectation. I really and truly did not know. What I was getting into, I just pressed play and let it unfurl this movie's insane this movie is amazing this movie is gorgeous the movie's exciting it's funny um and, and this movie is absolutely bonkers in the very very best way
1: and in the middle of it you have Udo Kier showing up and just yeah. Oh, doing his work uh, I, what i love about this movie is how um it is so much that siege movie and when the foreigns the foreign nationals show up like it almost doesn't explain them in so in a well in a great way no you in, know in and, and i take that not just to be what someone might describe as bad writing or even you might want to think about it as they couldn't afford them for enough days or whatever Um, I take it more for the movie to tell me these people don't matter in the way that we always wanted um, movies that touch on colonialism and touch on otherness and national identity to be like, they are not the arbiters of this story. We are right. And so much so that we are going to make this story that turns it all around and makes it and makes it into um its own as it already is a genre film that just plays with its own concepts and i'm sure there are like 30 historical things i don't know about brazil that this movie touches on in really interesting ways i have read a lot going in after this movie and it remains one of the most fascinating films of 2020 that i have seen and i adore it
0: yeah i like it's It's crazy to say that at this stage in the game, it it takes a lot for a film to make an impact. Like there's, there's a lot of movies that fade into the memory and and you kind of have to really draw them out when you're, when you're trying to think of a certain topic. Like, you know, I think about when I do the section on this podcast of the other side and I try to think in my head of something like a movie about grief. Like I'm like, okay, I've got like a few dozen movies about grief in my head, but what can I, Extract that's not A, the typical answer, and B something I've already talked about six times, and you know, really try to pull it again for a new conversation. Baccarau is not that movie. Baccarau is the kind of movie that really sticks front and center. And the movie, the the moment somebody says Baccarau, or the moment somebody says something like, you know, what's a movie about a small town that pushes back? These are the kinds of movies you'd be like, I know a movie. It's funny, it's sad, it's violent, it's it's exciting from moment to moment. It is kind of the most movie of the year.
1: Best guitar player in all movies.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, including Desperado.
1: Including Desperado.
0: Yeah. I do um, want the I too want the job of that DJ who doesn't actually have like a radio station. He just goes from A to B in his car with really big speakers in the back and a mic.
1: Yeah, it's 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 the only way to do it.
0: <laughs> if you say so buddy um my number two movie i don't think you've seen yet so i won't go on too too long about it but uh, i was lucky enough to catch it in time for this show um my number two movie is directed by lee isaac chung and stars steven yon it's a movie called minari
1: oh i want to see it so bad you this
0: this is this is a movie for you For sure. So this is a movie. It's set during the '80s uh, in uh, Arkansas, where a Korean American family moves into town, and it's 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 them trying to basically build up their lives, right? It's it's a town where there's not a whole lot of economy booming. It's a town certainly where there's not a whole lot of other Asians, and they're just they're trying to get their shit together and to make a life for their children it's it's a, it's a couple and they're two small children and they're trying to make a life now making a life entails a lot of things it entails getting jobs at this uh this hatchery where they're sorting out male chicks from female chicks it involves trying to farm the land that they're on, um, part of the reason why the father, played by uh, Stephen Yon, uh, chose this particular place where they're living. And they're living in like a trailer. They're not living in, in a prototypical house. They're living in in a trailer in this, in this kind of backfield. Uh, Jacob is his name. The reason why Jacob chose it is because he is convinced that the land around them is really, really rich and that they'll be able to farm. And making a go of it also includes bringing their, the grandmother in to help them because, of course, it's just the two of them. They don't really have daycare. They don't really have, you know, like support in terms of the network. So they got to bring the grandmother into the fray. It's just dripping with empathy. It wants you to look at this family and all of these hurdles that they've basically put in front of themselves. Like they could have just stayed in their comfy little life in California or, or, you know, and, and, and made life easier for themselves. But they're like, you know what? We could maybe do more if we went here and we tried and trying is everything from, you know, going to the white church, trying is plowing under these back fields so that you can plant stuff and, and making a real go in the face of being the other. It takes a lot these days um, for a movie to get me plot-wise. Like you know, it's it's kind of the stage we're at. I don't try to outsmart a movie. I'm not trying to say that about myself. But usually, as a plot is going along, I have a vague clue as to where it's going. Right, and I'm and I'm, I'm just happy to go along for the ride. Minari is a movie that in its final act. Actually, made me audibly say out loud, Oh shit. Like, there there comes a point in this movie where something happens, and the reality of what has just unfolded just hits you like a bolt. The guys on film spotting always like to talk about stakes and how, you know, in a movie like Tenet or a movie like, you know, your average superhero movie, the stakes, generally speaking, are quite low because you know. That everybody in it is going to be okay because I got to make more movies. The stakes in a movie like Minari, um, or certainly the stakes in the movies by the filmmaker you're going to talk about in a minute, and with your number one film, the stakes are incredibly high. You know, a small decision or a small move can have huge repercussions, and this movie has that in a great degree where this moment just. Threatens to completely undo the way of life that this family has spent so much time building up.
1: Yeah. Does this movie have a better Stephen Jung character than Burning, or just different?
0: It has a... So this is what I love about Stephen Jung, is that he is showing more and more that he is very, very versatile. Like, I think what I loved about Burning and I and I loved Burning, by the way, we didn't talk about Burning the year that it dropped for reasons that I can't entirely remember, is that Burning was the first time I saw Stephen Young play a different character than Glenn. Right? Like, we really got to know this actor as Glenn on Walking Dead and his ins and outs and how he moved and how he spoke and how he approached life. And then along comes Burning and he's somebody who's so cold and so aloof and so, like, almost sociopathic and can just grip you with a monologue that's told in a, in a level of voice barely above a whisper. He's not doing that again in Minari. He's playing a very, very different workaday man, Korean man in America. And he's doing it in a way that you can understand what he's trying to do. And also understand what his wife sees in him and why it might be a bad idea. He He's a guy who, if he's in a movie, I'm going to go.
1: I adored Burning. Burning. Burning is one of those movies where I have a hard time selling people on it. But at the end of the day, I'm like, the acting in that movie and the character in that movie is just so, so brilliant.
0: Well, it is. I mean, like, that is a subtle movie. That is a really, really hard one. To, to like it's a really really low simmer um the other thing i should kind of talk up just before i move on from minari is that the matriarch of this family the grandmother uh yun yun jung she is spectacular in this movie she is She's a legend in Korea like she's been, she's 73 years old and she's got like I think more than 50 movies under her belt. She's been acting for more than 50 years so she must have more than 50 movies under her belt. She's incredible in this movie and what they bring her in to do and you know how much she guides you through this movie. It could have succeeded just with the couple and the kids, but by bringing her into the story as well and letting her do what she does. I love seeing the attention that she's getting at year end like she's actually being talked about in terms of like award consideration and it's well deserved because she is so tender in this movie and has so much heart and so much like just just ah just wonderfulness i can't wait for people to see this movie any other year it actually could have been my number 1 and and you know if i had of had even just another week with it it might have been my number 1 it's a fantastic movie that i can't wait for people to see we're going to come right back after this we're going to talk about our number 1 movies in the year so come on back spinning above stones and slings when push comes to shove all right the time has come we have uh, spoken about many movies and many different facets of the last year movies that embody the year movies that may not have seemed like a movie at first um but we it always comes down to one it always comes down to one top dog the movie that made its deepest impact on you for the year andrew robinson um you uh, you you feel as though your top film is aptly titled
1: I mean, it is like, you know, it, as, as someone who likes to watch a lot of anime, people like to have conversations where they talk about um, best girl, which we can talk about how problematic all that stuff is, um, or, or, best, or best man or best boy or whatever. Um, I have best cow because it is the first cow um, directed by Kelly Reichardt. Um, and this is a movie which, I mean, Kelly Reichardt is not new to this story, right? She... She has been doing these minimalist um, stories even in the Old West um, long before this film. Um, and she, she's incredible at making these films in which the stakes are so low, but at the same time, the they still seem ridiculously high. Because at the end of the day, we're talking about a world where instead of thinking of it in Clint Eastwood terms and Sergio Leone and... Um, Django terms where they are they they are the, the pastime superhero films where they can't die um these are stories that exist in times when death is a normalcy right yeah um where any small mistake means you don't get to live for the rest of life and you will die poorly over the next two weeks
0: Yeah, a a cough could be a very bad harbinger. A cough is not just, I got some dust in my throat. A cough could mean that person is not long for this world.
1: Right. So we're back in the old Westwood Kelly Reichart, and we follow along these two characters, um, uh, Cookie and um, King Lou, um, played by John Magaro and Oran Lee, two friends who who become new friends in this small town. And at the same time, this small town has the delivery of their first cow, um, which is a big thing for this town. It means milk production. It means things they didn't have before. And it is it is not for the town, obviously. It's one wealthy man who owns this cow. And these two men, um, Cookie, who, if you couldn't guess by his name, is a cook. <laughs> <laughs> um, he He takes it upon himself that he really wants to make this um this delicacy um that is oily cakes um and he needs milk to do it right so they go into the dead of night to go and steal milk from this cow and everything gets out of hand as they start to make a business together with these with these oily cakes and they go off fantastically imagine anywhere in your town that has that new business open up that just booms that's what happens here um, but we're in the old west, so stealing from somebody's cow is like is 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 a deathly crime. Um, because slowly but surely, he realizes he's not getting any milk. He's he he thinks he's bought a barren cow, and it is incredible to see the story of what goes on with all of these characters between Cookie King Lou and um, the the wealthy gentleman played by toby jones toby jones um whose character name is chief factor um who 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 has a fun relationship with cookie himself imagining this man must be just be incredible how is he doing this and without milk um <laughs> or just not knowing how these things are made um because this man has never talked to me about my cow um and it's one of those movies that it's it's such a simple plot that you think if this plot were in 2020 you'd be like this would be solved with like a lawsuit of money or like a contract being made um but at any time these two are just running around with a noose around their neck not knowing when when they're going to plummet to their death or when something bad will happen and it is it is both just enjoyable to watch this friendship um business relationship happen and at the same time the suspense of when something bad is going to happen in this story to these characters and i love it
0: yeah this movie i i envy that you got to see it uh before the world shut down yeah kelly reichard um director of movies like meek's cut off and certain women and um old joy um she has a knack for taking everyday situations and taking one moment of truth and making you realize that this moment of truth could have huge consequences and having the whole thing hang on whether or not the headlights over the ridge are going to turn off and go away or whether or not the barrel of water is going to make it up the cliff, you know, or in this case, whether or not these guys are going to get found out that they're stealing milk from this cow and, or, you know, Toby Jones actually having a brain in his head and thinking, Hey, maybe I'm not getting any milk out of my cow because they're taking it. Um, So the stakes in this movie are incredible. Um, At the same time, this movie is, so damn tender and loving and sweet about the process of creating you know the whole idea of whether you are a coder or a baker or a carpenter whatever you happen to be creating something out of nothing is a labor of love and there are respects that need to be paid you know like one of the things that comes up in first cow is the the it gets gets, the the idea gets kind of swirled of well what if we made more like what if we you know right now we can only sell 50 of these in a day with how much milk we get what if we figured out a way to get more milk so that we could sell 100 in a day and king lu actually says no 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 if we make if we keep this as something that's exclusive, as something that's hard to get, as something that we only make as much of and then we're done, that is what will keep people desiring it for longer. If we mass produce this, the novelty is going to wear off very quick. You know, he's He's smart about it that way. And at the same time, he has a respect for what he is actually creating
1: in a year in which everyone's stuck at home and I'm pretty sure everyone got very familiar with cooking, very intricate things themselves. Um, a movie about cooking, like it's, it's really great. I, I still, to this day, I mean, I know you were very much on the, on the train of trying to get some oily kicks made for yourself. So I <laughs> I know you failed so far. Yeah. Um, I remember not. I haven't really attempted myself. I mean i I would just make myself some Johnny cakes, but you know, all all work together.
0: Yeah, first cow. It's so lush. It's so tender. Um, it it's short, sweet, and to the point. I, I, I oddly enough remember back when we could go to theaters, seeing the trailer for this movie and not really thinking much of it. Like it, it seems to kind of have. The most absurd trailer, where it seems like the most highfalutin bullshit that I've I've come across, um, and I really should have known better because the people who make these movies are not the people who sell these movies, and this movie is a lot better than its poster or its trailer would have you believe. Um, you know, it's not really about the cow. <laughs> that's that's really what I want to drill into people: is you're not really watching a movie about the cow; you're watching a movie about life in North America at at its at its dawn, what it meant for people who had the means to buy a cow, what it meant for people who would steal from the cow. Um, and, you know, just all of the ins and outs in between of, you know, how much is too much? Like there's a lot, this movie has a lot to say about greed and about temperance, because these guys, they're in it. They're not in it to win it. They're in it to make just enough to get on to the next thing. And, you know, it, it kind of takes that old saying behind every big fortune, there is a big crime and turning it on its head. It's like, here is a small fortune by a small crime with an end. You know, like with a, we're doing this to do this and get out. Andrew seems to claim that my number one film of 2020 is actually a film from 2021 but it's I mean, it,
1: show- it is the future right you came yeah. back from the future in tenant style uh, yeah yeah i'm 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 looping back um,
0: my number one film is a film that i was coming into this year really looking forward to and the highlights of this year have been few and far between i mean andrew's got some doozies if you ever want to find out about a year of a 2020 unlike any other call this man he's got some stories um but but one of the things i was looking forward to that was going to carry me through this year was an upcoming film from a director who'd hit me so hard a few years ago um her name is chloe ja and a few years ago she directed my favorite film of the year The writer. Uh, she then took that and parlayed it into a Marvel payday uh, by directing The Eternals. And in a weird little twist of fate, we didn't get to see that movie, but we did get to see the smaller movie that she took her Marvel money and then went and made. And it's a film called Nomadland. The main two actors that you'll see in this movie are Francis McDormand and David Strathairn. And the premise of this movie is simply about Francis McDormand playing this woman named Fern, who is a nomad. She lives in this camper van, and she goes where the work takes her. She goes where the the climate in America is hospitable, and lives quite simply. And then when she has to, she moves on. In a way, I could see this as the movie somebody tells me embodies twenty twenty because it's a movie. It, it was a year where a lot of us just said, you know. If we kind of got away from everybody, maybe we'd be okay. So maybe these people are on to something where they're, you know, living in the back of their van and, you know, only packing three or four changes of clothes and only packing, you know, two to four dishes and just relying on other people for company, for assistance, for entertainment, um far more than you and I might do when we're, you know, a lot more wired in than this woman is. Um, The movie is stunning. The movie has some of the best photography you will see. The movie has a gorgeous musical score that goes underneath it. And Frances McDormand carries this movie on her shoulders and she's wonderful from moment to moment, whether she's, flipping burgers in a diner or whether she's sitting on a patio chair outside of her camper van.
1: It is most definitely the most, um, Terrence Malick I've ever seen a director go. It's weird because when I, when I spoke with, um, Damien on this, he's not seen this. I've spoke with him about this movie because he and I are both in love with the writer as well. He, he, he kind of cued me into something I didn't even see in the writer. I didn't see the Terrence Malick, um, influence in the writer. I just saw a fantastic story by these wonderful people. It's one of those films that is definitely made for a specific audience. I don't think I'm that audience this year. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but nonetheless, I, I know what's going on with you, man. It's, it's great.
0: I love coming across a talent on the way up. Like it, it's, it's rare. It's really, really rare to come across a storyteller and, and, and say, you know, this person's going places because for every one back at the beginning of this segment, we talked about tenant. And I remember thinking when I saw memento, holy crap, this is a guy who's going to be able to tell some really incredible stories for every one storyteller like that who gets their chance to tell stories on a bigger and bigger stage we get a trillion nacho Vigalondo who told a story called time crimes which is very much in a in a in a in a relationship with a movie like Tenet, but he never really broke out of of the the constraints of you know, not even just working outside of his own language, because he's a Spanish filmmaker, but just never really busted down that door. Meanwhile, watching somebody like Chloe Ja, who's now, you know, four films deep into her career, I've seen three of them, and I can see this progression of just grander and grander ideas is fantastic to me. Um, you know, like yeah, you say you're not big on 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 the Malikian influences of this movie, I saw them all over the rider. Like when I watched that movie, I'm like, here's a woman who has studied her malik and is ready to make it her own. Um, and yeah. in the in nomad land, she takes it and she just doubles down and makes you look at areas of the country that you might not even look twice at and say, holy shit, that's really
1: pretty nothing else this movie is beautiful um the acting in it is fantastic david strathairn like you kind of you kind of look at a movie like this and you you think sometimes that they'd be happy to make it one of those films where you just have um francis mcdormand as the centerpiece and she just plays off of all of these non-actors or completely unknowns that can be anyone to us and we can just have her exist in that world um, but Strathairn in his own pl- right just pops up and you kind of fall in love with him as well in the character he plays and how he shows up from time to time. Um, the the movie itself, it has a really interesting core. I, I just have issues with some pieces of how parts play out and how it's kind of put together in itself that's just being me but i i I, it's something i i i hate myself for doing this i really hate doing (laughs) where i'm like someone is talking about movies they love i don't need to shit on someone's movies right um but yeah man this
0: (laughs) (laughs) i mean i listen i get it it's it's a movie like all all three of mine really were subtle like it, it's really kind of kooky to me to be talking in the same segment um, when you when, when you bring when you start us off with tenant and certainly when you take us to the batshit nature of Baccarat it's really weird for me to be mirroring that with movies like Never Rarely Sometimes Always and Minari but I mean I get like that was just my mood this year you know like, I, I think they it, it's it's weird because on the one hand these are films that should suffer watching them at home because I should be so distracted and so disengaged and so you know with my mind even just seeing a cat move across the room i should be like taken out of this kind of movie but meanwhile what i cannot deny is that these films and especially No Land, which yeah i came in prime to love um just got their hooks in me and i adored them so I don't know. Like It's yeah. I, I get like you saying, you know, not for you dog. I'm hoping that eventually you do come back to it and watch it again. Um, and maybe it, it does a little bit more, maybe, you know, your attitude towards uh, like the characters or the story or its message or whatever changes over time. But you know, like I, I would, I would understand somebody coming away from this movie and saying, you know, I, I didn't get it. Like not a whole lot happened. This woman just moved around America What are you going on about? I can only just say that it took me out of my life for a minute, and it did not take me to a life that I want. Like, do not get me wrong; I have no desire to pile into a van, you know, poop in a bucket, and call that my my life, and and hang my socks and my underwear on on a clothesline. I have no desire for that. But to spend two hours in this world and watch this woman look into the face of a consumerist. 21st century and completely say to herself i don't need that was
1: refreshing (laughs) i'm not gonna lie i know someone who's done this and um they very much enjoy their camper life do they
0: try to sell you on it
1: no i don't think i'd call it a sales pitch as much as it's a life story kind of like this movie this movie is not a sales pitch it's just a life story um, yeah, and,
0: and I think that, that's what I like about it is that, like I've seen other movies like this where it really hammers the living off the grid nature of it home and just will not let you forget it. This movie is just this woman lives it. It's for her. She doesn't push it on anybody else.
1: And and what I like even more is how she can politely reject other offers mm-hmm. in that sense where mm-hmm. she's like, I get, I get I get your life. Um uh, not for me, dog. Yeah. She's doing, she's doing to the, everyone else what I'm doing to you. I'm like, not for me. <laughs> Thank
0: you for that. And I mean, and again, the, the, the amazing part of all of this is the woman who gave us this story has another story just waiting on the shelf that you know would have made her far more famous and right now we've just got to sit around and wait for it There we go that is episode 250 of the matinee cast i'm so thankful uh that andrew robinson was able to spend some time with me today come on back monday january 11th for episode 251 we will discuss wonder woman and i know y'all have opinions on it but i've got mine so you're gonna hear them andrew of course is on the unnamed movie podcast um when can people look forward to your year-end shenanigans, and this was a sprint compared to your usual marathon.
1: We have right now in the bank a tenant episode that I'm planning to release in another week, more or less, and then when the new year rolls around in the middle of that month, you'll get our end of year uh, more than likely, which will be, which I don't know how long it'll be this year, especially Fair given day. what it was. Um, but we're going to see what, what we can come up with.
0: Very nice. If people want to follow you on Twitter, where can they find you?
1: Um, as always at GMan Reviews
0: very nice my site of course is the for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to the slash podcasting you can also find them on spotify google play pocketcast stitcher radio blueberry and apple everything gives you handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop if you have a podcast platform of choice and my show is not there please drop me a line and let me know i will put it there feedback on films of 2020 that we mentioned or films that 2020 that we didn't mention can be left in the comment section of the site you can email me ryan at the matinee.ca on twitter i am matinee underscore ca or there's always facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts mr robinson
1: baccaro everyone go and watch baccaro
0: uh i would i fully support this i, I don't always have Andrew's back when it comes to the movies he suggests, because this man has steered me wrong sometimes, but uh, Baccarat, he will he's not steering you wrong. I, I highly recommend this movie with him. For Andrew, I'm Ryan. Thank you so much for 250 shows. Have a happy and safe new year, and we'll see you at the matinee. Make it easy. Make it plain. Make it simple. Make it rain. Lift me up and Add again like it did back when I was
1: ten world was smaller but you knew it then play it again.